Um, we're going to read from Romans 12, 14. You can read it along in your book if you would like. Bless those who persecute, persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Do not claim to be wiser than you are. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. If it's possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. No, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. For by doing this, you will heap burning coals on their heads. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those authorities that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Do you wish to have no fear for the authority? Do then what is good, and you will receive its approval. For is God's servant, sorry, for it is God's servant for your good. But if you do what is wrong, you should be afraid, for the authority does not bear the sword in vain. It is the servant of God to execute wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be subject not only because of wrath, but also because of conscience. For the same reason, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants, busy with this very thing. Pay to all what is due to them, taxes to whom taxes are due, revenue to whom revenue is due, respect to whom respect is due, honor to whom honor is due. Owe no one anything except to love one another, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. The commandments... You shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is fulfilling the law. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Michael. I just, we just took Connor's advice and just didn't read a little verse. Needed to read a big passage uh, as we have a look at this beautiful book of Romans. Um, yeah, we're going to touch on a bit of what's going on here and talk a little bit about governing authorities, all the fun stuff. So let me pray. Thank you, Father, for your good grace and your mercy that follows us and is there for us. We just... Um, want your presence to come and be here with us, be present with us, we pray. That you would speak to us, let your word be clear in our minds and in our hearts. May your spirit bring life to us, bring healing to us, redemption for us. 
Thank you that you transform us, you renew us, and you make us into your image, Lord, and that we uh, may live in harmony. We learn to what it means to love our neighbour as ourselves. We learn what it means to live peaceably with one another, to, to learn these things and grab a hold of all that you are doing. And Lord, we just, yeah, we want it done by your spirit, not by our might, but by your spirit. So we're just here to respond to you, Holy Spirit. We're here to hear you. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, uh, one thing I have mixed feeling towards is uh, the genre, I guess, of, or, or the style of music of the a cappella. Is there any a cappella fans out there? Oh, there's none. Yeah, well, I'm also questionable to the a cappella groups. Uh, it just feels very cheesy. It feels very, like, very polished, almost too just, yeah. I mean, there's, you can, the classic Christmas a cappella groups are the worst of them all, uh, where everything is just so, uh, um, but there, there, is, there is one a cappella um, uh, well, not a group, sorry, a performance that um, I, I love. If you Google um, Bonnie Ver's uh, Heavenly Father at the opera, live at the Opera House, um, it's amazing. It's so you know Bonnie Ver. If you don't know, is just uh, kind of a big band, and they play all this kind of just different music, and they're experimental with how they play. And uh, but in this moment for this song, uh, Heavenly Father, they, they all get off their instruments and they gather around in a circle on the stage and they're all facing each other. They're not facing the crowd and um, just, you know, as the, the, the musicians, they just start humming and mm, the song and uh, just start, and it's just like this belt, or this belt out of this amazing song. Um, and it's just like raw, and it's not polished at all. There's no like cheesiness there, you know. Ah, they're just kind of raw in the moment together, it's kind of all singing. They're in their harmonies, singing in what what is meant to be sung, and it's beautiful. It's just yeah, some, it brings me to tears sometimes that the emotion of this moment uh, is a beautiful thing. And this this is kind of for me a great picture of what it means to live in harmony of kind of getting together and actually in unison singing a song that is beautiful. It creates beauty. Uh, and so here in this scripture and what we're looking at today, we're looking at what it means, and the scripture alludes to it, to live in harmony with one another. To live in harmony with one another. And last week we talked a little bit uh, about the context of the book of Romans and how uh, the, uh, the Apostle Paul is writing this letter to these house churches in Rome, uh, trying to address and, and uh, deal with the tensions that are going on in the community of believers, a tension particularly between what he uh, coins as the strong and the weak, those who, who trust in, in uh, just the, who Christ is and who Christ has made them to be, or those, and that's the, the strong, or those who, who are weak who, who trust also on the practices and the rituals of the Jewish people and are clinging so strongly to those rituals more than they cling to Christ. Uh, and so Paul is addressing and trying to navigate these tensions of disunity, of where there isn't harmony within the church there. And so uh, we're going to look at how Paul calls us and how we are called to live in harmony with one another. Uh, Scott McKnight 
uh, a Bible scholar, he, he t- terms this, what, this living in harmony, he, he terms it embodied life with others. Embodied life with others. There's a quote by him. He says, A God orientation can easily get lost in the upper reaches of indiv- individualism, solitude, or mystical devotion. But for Paul, God orientation is an embodied life with others. The church, the body of Christ, is that embodied life with others. Where in our culture there is so much that, that is trying to pull out, the, you know, seeking out individualism, the solitude. But what Paul continues to want to do is to bring community together. And, and just as, as Connor was sharing about reading the scripture together, this is that, that community of people who actually gather together to embody what, how God is calling us to live. Turning to Christ and being formed with him with each other. And this is so important, so key for what we want to do and so important for what we as the church should be doing. Not just coming on a Sunday, not just doing uh, our religious duty to to come and and pay respect on a Sunday, but but actually embodying a community together, learning how to work together. Now, for those who who like to create um, or, you know, do something arty or music or uh, even just a hobby, I like to create things. Um, there, are, there are times that when you get to create, where you create or you do, you're doing a task where you get so soaked into that task and time seems to have just gone like, like a wind, like an, an hour has gone by and it feels like just minutes. We know those moments where we, we get in the flow and the rhythm of things and time just doesn't seem to matter. And there is those moments, um, you know, they, they happen for me when I'm, I'm doing website coding. It just, I love it. Getting deep into the code. And, and then before you know it, it's like, oh, Michaela's calling me for dinner. I'm like, Make, where's my dinner? Um, and I've just been coding for hours. Uh, it also happens when, when I'm playing music and you, you get lost in the music. Uh, and so music and art has, has this amazing ability to consume you particularly consume you up in its beauty. There's beauty in creation. There's beauty as we create. And I was reading a, a news article the other day uh, about the decline of music education in schooling, uh, partic- particularly within the public lower, lower socioeconomic areas. There's a decline within music education and uh, uh, Children actually taking on, you know, learning music and learning instruments. And I've seen this. I've noticed less and less um, teenagers actually being musicians. Back in my day, everyone wanted to be in a band. And just like, it was so cool to just be in a band and play an instrument and play music. Now it just seems like, you know, it's not even a pursuit for, for teenagers. Uh, there seems to be this, this decline in music Education and, and this article was talking about how there's been studies um, around this and seeing how this actually has a direct correlation to, to uh, issues with mental health. It actually affects mental health. And they, they did studies of, of students who, who were doing med- music education and those who weren't in the different settings, and they, they found that, that actually it does produce an actually greater mental health and a better understanding of beauty and art um, and better connection with the world, better connection with others. 
It was this great study of actually people, uh, these teenagers, actually grabbing more of life as they get into this skill. And, you know, there's more to it. There's so much nuance to what it means to, to learn an instrument. You have to put your, your craft at it. You have to work at it. You have to practice at it. There's some great things. But one of the things that stood out is they talked about the, the beauty of art and the beauty of actually looking upon music and seeing the beauty of it actually affects us. And it made me think about even our, our modern way of seeing even just music alone or an art form. We often, in our modern way, in our capitalist worldview, we think, like, if I'm going to do this, it needs to give me some money or it needs to give me some reputation. That if I'm going to get this as a craft of mine, then it should give me X, Y, Z, and I should get some benefit from this. Otherwise, what's the point? What's the point of all this if I'm not going to get some acclaim from it? And it made me realise that like, we, we just have missed the beauty of art. So often we can miss the beauty of what even just creating and, and doing this as an art form and just live and experiencing what it is to be in the beauty of it. That art is not just about the dollars in the bank or the reputation for others respect music and art is is about beauty or writing or other forms of creativity it's about beauty and when we're in that flow when we're creating art and experiencing that beauty that for me is what it means to embody life that for me is the great picture of what it means to actually embody that life. When we're in those zones, we're really just there in life experiencing and embodying the beauty. And so we appreciate and adore the art for the beauty of, for the beauty of what it is. And it overflows in us. So uh, as Paul calls us to live in harmony with one another, to live an embodied life with others. I believe it means living present in the moments of our life to the beauty of God and his creation around us. To seeking that beauty in one another, seeking that in him, our creator, and seeking that in the people, the beauty of his creation in one another, in the image of God, in the people around us to being present to that, to actually sitting with that and going, embodying that with one another. Because there is beauty in every single person. Every person, there is beauty. And we are called to actually be present to people and embody that life that is within each other. So how? How do we live with, in harmony with one another? So I'm just going to share, uh, just before this scripture, there's, there's Romans 12, verse 1, which is very uh, famous and well-known scripture. Um, uh, let me just share this scripture here. It says, Romans 12, verse 1, it says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, holy and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual worship. 
this, this passage that kind of frames this section here, talking about how we could live in harmony, talking about kind of honouring and, and uh, the government authorities and, and talking about how we can love our neighbour. It, it comes out of this moment of, of recognising, first seeing the mercies of God, to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now we're going to talk more about this scripture and, and you know, some the rest of Romans 12 in our dinner church next week. Um, but I'm, I just want to pull out two keys here, two important factors uh, that come from this scripture and, and help frame our living in harmony with one another. Uh, and those two Two keys are sacrifice and prayer. Sacrifice and prayer. That first, Romans 12, calls us to see God's mercy. To see God's mercy. To come back to God's compassion, his grace on us. That we are who we are because of his grace. We didn't earn that love, but we are justified and made right through, the, through Christ and his mercy for us. Our sacrifice starts as we realise and see God's mercy. He calls us to live a life of sacrifice and surrender, to lay who we are before him, to come before him and actually be filled by who he is. That we are first called to see God's mercy Continue to come back to that. Our days should be marked with with sitting in his mercy, of being renewed by his mercy. And so the greatest thing that we can do as Christians is is to know Jesus, to to just know him, to sit with him and actually reflect on him, to, to meditate on Christ. Even if you spend three, five minutes a day where you just sit in silence, And just think about Christ. If we do that each and every day, we are filled with his presence. He comes upon us and speaks to us. When we make space to actually know him and to reflect on his mercies every day, our life becomes richer. Our life can become fuller and we learn what it actually means to live in harmony. We learn as we actually draw upon his mercy. We learn how we can actually live with each other. Second, we, we present our bodies as a living sacrifice. We live this embodied life with others that we live robust, resilient relationships with one another. We, we actually present who we are as a sacrifice for God, yes, but also for others. This, this Romans 12 verse 1 where we live and we present our bodies as a living sacrifice then flows into how actually Paul sees how we're called to live with one another. And that is, as we, we see in the scriptures, is about living in harmony with one another. It's about living peaceably with all. It says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. It says that, owe no one anything except to love one another. And it says, love your neighbor as yourself. There is this the standard of how we're called to treat each other and how we're called to actually love one another that... I don't think we, we, we actually live by it. And I know I don't live by it. 
a standard of actually how we are called to, to see and be present with others around us. There is this, this call of Christ to actually be there. And uh, I've been reading through the Gospels recently and I've been blown away by, by Jesus again and how he really calls his disciples to live, how he calls to just not worry about possessions, how he calls us and how we can just kind of read over that. And yeah, that was that context and that day. And, but I think there is an important message of actually seeing what we have and seeing that that is not as important as actually being close to Christ and actually living with people, being present with people and really loving and caring for people and actually going the extra mile, doing things that are radical to, to truly love on people. We simply, I think, just try and, try and grab a little bit that we can because we're trying to manage life, we're trying to do all we can, but I think there is a greater call for us to see the importance of what this is, an importance of sacrificing our life for others and actually living our lives to help and benefit others. This is the kingdom of, of God, the kingdom of Jesus that he invites us into. And so he calls us to be holy and acceptable. And this word holy, it describes God and anything where God's presence, his space dwells. And so when you enter in a space of God, that, that very space is holy. It is a holy thing. And so when we come into his presence, we experience the holiness of who he is, which then marks us as holy as we come in his presence. This is how he calls us to live, to be holy with him. And so... Let's just be holy. Let's do this. Easy, right, guys? No problem. I mean, first, I mean, that's obviously, yeah, it's, it's not necessarily that easy all the time. And the difficulty with holiness is first, we are flawed. We are broken. We have so much going on in our lives. We are consumed with what's happening in us that we neglect to actually come into that space and neglect and be so busy or uh, so consumed with anything else that we actually neglect to come into that holy space to begin with, to actually journey and make space for him. But then also we live in a world that is highly complex and very difficult to navigate. So much going on around us, navigating uh, the, the people that we interact with in, in our world, but also na na navigating the, the competing narratives all around us, where our culture says to do this one thing and to go after this. What, what is right? How is God calling me in this? How is God leading me through all that's happening in my own personal relationships, but also the greater narrative of our culture? It can be complex and confusing to navigate, so much vying for our attention to actually live in this holiness is difficult. And so, uh, yeah, we need to learn what this means to actually live with Christ. And even as we think about kind of learning how to navigate our culture and navigating particularly in our beautiful country, Australia, which is amazing, the there's uh, certain governing authorities and, um, you know, even just as the, the election just gone, it shows that we, uh, you know, we don't trust the governing authorities. There is a less and less trust on our government and, and increasingly it's less and less trust or it's de 
you know, whatever it is. It's <laughs> decreasing, increasing. Yeah, anyway. Uh, there's less and less trust on these governing authorities. Uh, and we can try and work out uh, how, yeah, what, what is, how's God calling us to actually to, to trust and, and to what is he calling us to fight for in our government? How is he calling us to actually initiate change or how are we called as Christians to act and live in the midst of all that is going on? And, you know, we read these, these scriptures here in, in Romans 13, you know, let, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those authorities that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. There is this intensity of, of how we should live and actually trust and submit to governing authorities. Now, the question is, is, it, is, it, is this scripture, is it telling us that we need to submit no matter what the government says, do we need to submit even if they're abusive or corrupt? Much probably like the, the day in Rome, the authorities of that day, the governing authorities would have been corrupt and abusive and oppressive. Is Paul just saying, just submit to them no matter what they're doing? Should we just passively roll over and let the government do what they want? Now, to give some context again to this letter, Behind the letter was an event on the Roman calendar that went largely unnoticed, except to the Jews and Christians. In AD 49, uh, Emperor Claudius expelled Jew Jewish people from Rome. Uh, over a contemporary, uh, it was called the, the Crestos Affair, which, you know, surely he meant the Christ Affair. It, it, it was because of what the Christians were doing. They were actually reaching highly respected Roman people. And so the Claudius, the emperor, was, was not okay with this. And he, he just targeted all Jewish people and said, Jewish people, because this is Christianity was, was a form, it was a Jewish people. It started from a Jewish sect. And so he just banished the Jewish people from Rome. And there was an expulsion. And you see this in Acts 18, uh, verse 2. It says, because Claudius had ordered all Jews to leave Rome. And so there was these problems and this tension that was going on within Rome. Uh, and so then, in, uh, then time had passed and Claudius uh, was, was killed, was murdered. Uh, and around uh, AD 56, Christians were allowed to come back into Rome. But throughout this time, uh, the Gentile Christians had grown strong. The Gentile Christians continued in their faith and they grew stronger and, and more wiser. And so this is why there's these tensions within this church because here is these Jewish people who would have thought that they were more important because you know they, they knew all this a lot longer and they, they would have seen that they were more important of coming back into this Gentile situation. But these Gentiles now see themselves as, more, as important and they have grown in wisdom and understanding. And so there's this tension and friction within the Gentiles and the Jewish Christians because of all this kind of thing that's going on within the actual situation that is at hand. And so uh, there's all this that's happening and this tension of, of the Jewish people actually responding to the governing authorities. Uh, and then there's a whole, um, the whole issue of taxes and how you know, Jewish people were, were kind of weary about that, giving taxes to the Roman uh, Empire. And so there's all these, these issues that are at hand that 
that Paul is trying to address and trying to get people to grasp and see Christ in the midst of it. And so, yeah, these complexities are at hand here within this story. And so Romans, this book, was written um, after the Jewish people to come back and establish this, uh, and now all these tensions are here. Now, as we kind of think about this, uh, Scott McKnight, he, he talks about this kind of situation. He says, uh, to stay in line or get crushed was the message by the Roman authorities. Stay in line or get crushed was the message. These Roman people were not friendly. They were power-hungry oppressors. They were ready to just squash you if you tried to do anything about it. For Gentile believers, especially those who grew up, grew up in Rome, Paul's counsel of subjection was ho-hum, for there were no options. There were no other options. For the weak, Paul's approach of subjection grated against their history of oppression. No one heard these words theoretically. Everyone heard subject to the governing authorities from their own experience. Paul is exhorting the hotheads of Rome not to turn to resistance or revolution out of enthusiasm over Jesus as Lord, the kingdom's presence or the spirit's power to overcome. Paul here is trying to actually address this hot-headedness, this let's go attack, because he saw the Roman Empire as a threat to actually squash you. If you spoke up, there was no just kind of democracy where you could just say something and actually have a voice. If you had a voice in that situation, you would be killed. And so here he is trying to say, no, this is not worth your life. Do not do this. This is not worth your life. Well, our enthusiasm is not for what the government can do. But our enthusiasm is for Christ as King. Our enthusiasm is He as Lord and King. And so we're in a totally different situation. We're in a totally different environment where we're not going to be squashed by our government and, and killed for what we say. But we need to still honour and respect. And so we need to understand these words are, are written in a context. They were spoken for a people with a particular environment. And to not think that Paul is just against or, or for uh, governments, even if they're corrupt. You should just love and, and obey your government, even if they're going to oppress you. Paul's not thinking that. He, he had the whole scripture in his head. He realizes that God's authority and judgment comes upon those oppressive nations. He knew from the Old Testament, from the very beginning, there's, there's moments where nations were at war with one another and God's judgment comes against those oppressive nations. Even the nation of Israel, God's own nation, God brings judgment on because of their oppressive ways. God is not about oppression and, and belittling people, but he is for that justice and grace Mercy. But Paul here is speaking particularly for this particular environment. And so there is divine intervention. As we read the whole narrative of the scripture, as Connor was beautifully talking about, as we read the narrative and realize that there is, God often uses, he intervenes through human intervention to bring judgment in his way, 
in God's way, not in our own way, that we're called to actually submit first to Christ. Our call is to submit to Christ. And if that means we submit to the government, that's what God leads us to. Our call is always first to submit to Him and allow Him to navigate and and direct and guide us in the midst of the challenges we face in our situation, in our world. And so we, yeah, we see this time and time again in the Old Testament, and, and particularly it's, there's a great example in, in the life of Moses. When we try and do this change and try and make change within our kind of sphere around us through our own human intervention, it doesn't work well. We saw that through Moses. Moses tried to, to actually act by killing an Egyptian soldier because he did something to uh, an Israelite. And that ended very badly. It ended in in exile, where Moses was exiled out of Egypt and in the wilderness uh, setting. And it wasn't until a moment with God that he actually, you know, encountering the burning bush where God spoke to him and actually gave him his authority, gave him his uh, power to actually see change and see action take place within the oppressive powers of Egypt. It wasn't actually in Moses' intervention, it was in God's intervention that that took place. And so in all that we're doing, it's in all that we face in what's around us, in our culture around us, in what you know, the laws and governing authorities, our first place is to always submit to Christ and actually be guided and led. And if that means we're called to be a part of a protest or something to stand for people and actually believe for people in particular areas, then we need to continue to actually align ourselves with Christ as we honour and respect also the governing authorities around us. God is sovereign. He is sovereign. And we need to continue to trust in him. Uh, Esau Macaulay, a um, great African-American theologian, uh, he writes about this. He says, asking what we are to do when those tasked with governing us use that power to do harm is simply another way of asking why is there harm at all? One response to the problem of evil has been to posit the cross and resurrection as God's answer to the question. We do not worship a God who sits apart, but who enters human pain and redeems it from within. That the cross is the great eye-opener, the great place for us to actually keep coming back to. God has not separated himself from human pain and suffering and oppression, but has entered into it and to be present right there with it, to be present amongst all that goes on in our worlds. And so when, even when we are suffering, when we have this place, when we are called to actually live in harmony with one another, to call to, to sacrifice ourselves for others, we need to continue to see God present in the midst of our lives, God present in the midst of what is happening in us and how he is calling us to live in harmony with one another. We're not called to do that in our own efforts and own willpower, but we're called to do that submitted and surrendered to Christ and actually be, realize that God is present with us in building that harmony 
And so I, I have a dream. I have a dream. <laughs> you know, I would love to actually continue to see um, a, a connection and, and unity with, with those who are outside of church and those who are oppressed and, and are hurt and those who have been hurt, particularly even by the church, how the churches have oppressed, have oppressed and belittled certain types of people. I, I would love to be a person who is there bringing life and, and hope and, and grace and love to the world around us. I, I believe we as Christians are called to be that people, to learn how to live in harmony with one another, to see that, but, that, but that's difficult. That's hard. That's not just, oh, cool, let's go do that. That that's, requires a lot. It requires you know, actually stepping out and, and seeing those people, to, and it requires a, a, a change of mindset to actually realize that God calls us to be present in the midst of suffering because he is present with us in our suffering. As we keep coming back to realizing that he is present in our suffering, he calls us to be present in the suffering around us. Eugene Peterson, he says this, he says, the Christian task with words, is not communication, but communion. The healing and restoration and creation of love, relationships between God and his fighting children and a fought over creation. That as we talk and connect with people, it's not just about communication, it's actually about communion. It's about healing it's about restoration. And that as we actually bring those words and those actions to the people around us, there is healing and restoration that God calls and is, is present in us. And so that when we're connecting and talking with people, just remember that God is active and present there. And that it's not our role to just feel like we need to force love upon people. I love you. But our role is to be present with God and realize that he's the one that brings healing. He's the one that actually brings life. He's the one that brings restoration. And so sacrifice is, is much more than just, oh, I sacrifice to you, God, in a worship moment. Sacrifice is just continually to lay down what we think we know and realize that God is present there with us. Secondly, the, the second thing we need is uh, prayer. To learn how to live in harmony with one another, we need prayer. Prayer is so important. And it's, it, it, yeah, we are present with people as we pray. Another Eugene Peterson quote uh, is, prayer is the most thoroughly present act we have as humans and the most energetic it sockets the immediate past into the immediate future and makes it flexible. I love that. <laughs> it sockets, it's like these two limbs. Immediate past, immediate future, and it sockets prayer, sockets them together and makes them flexible, a living joint of them. The amen gathers what has just happened into the Lord come of what's about to happen and produces a benediction. We pay attention to God 
and lead others to pay attention to God. It hardly matters that so many people would rather pay attention to their standards of living or their self-image or their zeal to make a mark in the world. Prayer is the most thoroughly present act we have as humans because when we stop and pray, we are present and thinking about individuals. We're thinking about their situation. We're thinking about what's going on. When we stop and pray, we're actually considering, God, how can you move upon this person's life? Prayer is so deeply present with people's pain and grief and hurt. Prayer is just so important as we actually want to connect with people. It's just right there as we consider others. That's why Jesus says to pray for those who persecute you, for those who want to kill you or hurt you. Jesus says to pray for them, not in a, a, in a righteous, I'm going to pray for them because they need help, but a caring, loving, praying for them to actually consider them and be present with them and that there's more that's going on in other people's lives. And actually, when we make space to pray and, and think about them, we're not consumed with our own things that's going on in our own lives. We're actually considering others and being present to them. And so prayer can be that, that long space, beautiful space in the morning or a night where you can just consider and, and, and declare things and believe for God to move in, in situations. It can be this long thing, but prayer is also just little moments in our day, it's about staying attentive to God and his presence throughout our day to actually allow our thoughts to be present and attentive to what God is doing. And um, I, I have a notification on my phone that comes up at 10 a.m. and 2 p.m. Uh, using the pause app. Uh, for those who I mentioned a pause app you know, last year sometime. Uh, and anyway, it jolts me. This pause app jolts me to pause and, you know, often I don't do anything with it, <laughs> if I'm honest. But uh, occasionally I'm like, yes, I, I just need to stop from the ho-hum of the day and just, just stop and be attentive to actually realising God is present right now. In the hurry and the busyness of what my day has looked like, God's present right here. And he continues to call me to be present to the situations. And so... I'd encourage you, even just as you're having, about to have conversations, as you're about to meet with people, as you're about to go into work, or as you're about to do a certain task, just stop for a minute before going in and just be, God, God, I want to be aware and attentive to your presence, aware and attentive to what you're doing in the situation around me. That's it. And actually allow God to continue to, to speak to you and mould you as we're attentive to him and we're praying sacrificing to others. And so these two areas, sacrifice and prayer, are, are so linked together. Because the more that we sacrifice and, and actually realize God's mercy, the more that we want to pray. And the more that we pray, the more we actually sacrifice also for God, but for others. And so 
as we allow these rhythms to come into our day, we, we actually want to build a, a harmony with one another. We learn to actually live with one another. We actually want to be compelled. We, we want to change the, our actions. We want to actually do things that are different, that aren't just kind of me-focused, but actually seek others' help. We actually want to actually change as we pray. It's amazing. God changes us. He renews us as we come closer to him. And so... Can I be, yeah, encourage us to really just let this soak. God, we seek after your presence to live in harmony with one another. If the band wants to come as I close in prayer. God, we thank you for your presence. We thank you that we do this. We want to live in harmony. We want to sacrifice. We want to pray. We want to do all these things, not out of our own efforts and just us working at it and figuring it out, but God, we want to be empowered by your spirit. We want it to be life-giving, spirit-empowered act. God, thank you for your divine intervention in our lives that you intervene in our situations, in the moments of our life. You intervene and make a way for us. God, we want to be a people who live in harmony with one another. We want to learn how to, to do that within each other in this church together, but also with those in our community around us to, to continue to love and embrace those who need help and those who are struggling, God, we want to be a church who reaches out and loves with grace and honour. And so may your spirit come. May you fill us with your goodness. May you rest upon us, I pray. Thank you, Jesus. Your name, amen.